You know, when I saw my son up here, it just made me smile. I'm so proud of that young man, and he was so nervous about coming up here, but what a message, you know. That's something for us to ponder as we think about Thanksgiving this week and what we're all thankful for. You know, last week we talked about how following rules, rituals, or religion without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is pointless. Following man-made rules or trying to deny yourself things that the Bible does not prohibit never leads to godliness. In fact, trying to live that way will only lead to pride and disappointment. Paul said in our text from last week in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, that these things have the appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And since those things are of no value... The question is then, what is of value that will help us overcome sin? And this is where we're going to pick up this week in our study. We're going to answer the question of, what is the value of things that will help us overcome sin? So turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're first going to look at verses 1 through 4. And today is a beginning of a series within a series. Okay, this is part one today. This is a two-part mini-series. I'll conclude it next week. But as you know, we've been in this study in the book of Colossians for quite some time now as we're going through it verse by verse. And um, I want to tell you before we get into it, today's a really difficult message for me. And it's been weighing very heavily on me because this is not something I would have chosen to talk about today. And, uh, you know, I have this on the front of my binders to remind me why I preach the word of God. And it comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news, and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. So that's my challenge today, is to carry out the ministry that God's given me, and we just happen to stumble across some really difficult passages today, and I'm going to do my best to tackle them, but um, don't throw tomatoes at me, (laughs) all right, because this is the word of God, and that's my duty is to speak it as God gives it to me. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul says here, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are here on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. One thing that Paul has done all throughout the book of Colossians is he keeps the focus on Jesus. The false teachers in Paul's day were trying to convince the people that the Colossian church there that there was hidden knowledge that only certain people had. Only the false teachers possessed that, and that's the thing that was going on in the Colossian church that Paul was trying to combat here. And there were certain things that they were saying that you needed to do or that you needed to be in order to be godly. That was the message of the day. And these false teachers would try to add things to Jesus or they would try to take things away from Jesus. And we've already established multiple times in previous messages that it's Jesus plus nothing. 
a personal relationship with Jesus, our risen Savior, is all we need because he is both supreme and he is sufficient. So four times in these four verses, Paul mentions Christ. It's all about Jesus. As Christians, our identity must solely be in him. The first side of this identity is that we died with him. When we make the decision to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we identify with him through his death on the cross for our sins. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the problem with this truth is that while we are now dead to sin, we don't often feel like it. We may be dead to sin, but a lot of times you and I don't feel like we're dead to that sin. Well, first of all, we need to know that our feelings lie. And second, we need to remember that in the Bible, death does not mean that we simply cease to exist. No, death in the Bible, it means separation. When you and I die physically, our souls are going to be separated from our body. And so identify, when we identify with Christ in his death, it means that we are now separated from the power of the flesh in this world. Sin is no longer our master. When we're in Christ, we are free from the power of sin. We are no longer under the laws of this world because we are now citizens of heaven. And this world is no longer our home. So it's not a matter of how we feel. It's not about whether we feel dead to sin or not. If we're joined to Christ by our faith, then it's a legal fact that we are one with him in his death, which means we are free from the power of sin. Bless you. Always trust the facts over your feelings. Always. So there's one side of our identity is that we died with Christ. We died with him. The other side of our identity is that in him that we were also raised up with him in, in his resurrection from the dead. And so through our faith in Jesus, he has made us alive. We were spiritually dead, destined for eternal separation in hell. That's what happens. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what's going to end up. You're going to end up in hell. It's heaven or it's hell. One way is for, through a relationship. The other way is not a good way that any of us want to go or want to see any of our friends or family go. And because of that, Paul says in the first two verses of our text that we are to seek the things above and we are to set our minds on things above and not on things on this earth. Now, this doesn't mean that we just sit around all day and all we do is think about heaven, although that'd be cool, wouldn't it? Just lay around on your couch, eat some Doritos and kick back and just chill and think about heaven. No, what Paul is saying here is that you and I must have a heavenly mindset. We must see everything that we have on this earth from a biblical perspective so that we'll see and we'll understand how to live our lives here on this earth. Having a biblical perspective, it means we're seeing things from God's perspective and then we're living our lives according to what he desires. Our priorities become his priorities. And when we live from his perspective, it changes our priorities to reflect his will. It also breaks the power of the constant onslaught of worldly and selfish living. 
So as Christ followers, we should understand that our life is like a vapor in the light of all eternity. It's just a vapor. And we should be making the most of our time while we're here on this earth. Living our lives from God's perspective is the key to righteous and victorious living. God gives us the power to live for him through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And this relationship is what gives us the hope for the future when he will return. Having the hope that when Jesus appears again, we will appear with him in glory should motivate us to godly living right now. That's the hope of glory. I said that. Let me just throw that in there as a bonus today. (laughs) It fit right in there perfectly. You know, throughout the rest of our text today, the Apostle Paul is going to reveal to us how we should live our lives right now, how we should be prepared for life in heaven. We should be prepared for Jesus' return. Paul is going to give us a series of things that we need to put off and a series of things we need to put on. Now, I warn you, it's going to get a little bumpy in our journey together this morning. But we all need the truth of God's word in our hearts so that we can overcome the perils of this world. Let's pray. Father, we invite you here. We know that your word tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for rebuking, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord God, equip us today. We need your truth today. We ask that you'd give us ears to hear, that you'd open up hearts so that we can hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to move on to verses 5 through 6. Now in this text, Paul gives us the first set of five things that you and I need to put off. He says here in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, I want you to notice that the first thing that Paul mentions to put off is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, that's your first blank in your handout. This is a very broad term that essentially covers any sexual activity outside the boundary of marriage between a man and a woman. It comes from the Greek word pornia, which is where we get the English word pornography from. And it includes adultery, prostitution, bestiality, pedophilia, promiscuity, homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, and premarital sex. In the Bible, premarital sex, you'll often see that as fornication. That's the word that you'll see a lot of times in there. Another thing that you'll hear in today's society, you'll call it shacking up, living together, whatever. The challenge with that is it's all wrong. And yet we condone that a lot of times. Even in the church, there's people living together. That is not God's will. And we're going to see that in a minute. Any sexual activity outside what God has ordained for marriage between a man and a woman, that's what Paul is talking about here. And this also includes pornography. And in case you may be thinking that this isn't a problem for you or this isn't a problem for the church, I want you to listen to some very shocking and disturbing statistics. Nearly half of all families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography, uh, the use of it, increases marital infidelity by 300%. 
300%. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn, and 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. That right there is very, very frustrating. It makes me want to punch the enemy right in the face because I'm so tired of the enemy sexualizing our children. We see it in our schools, don't we? This next one's really troublesome. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. That means 87% of women are caught up in it in some form or fashion. And of young Christian adults ages 18 to 24, 76% actively search for porn. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. And nearly 60% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. So pornography is obviously a problem whether it's in the church or out of the church. Now, I could go on with statistics about other areas of sexual immorality, but the obvious question is this. What do we do about the epidemic of sexual sin running rampant throughout our culture today? Paul uses some very strong words for us. This is what he says. He says, put it to death. Put it to death. We're not to entertain it. We're not to play around with it. We're not to try to control it. We're not even to pray for deliverance from it. We are to put it to death. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. And this command is based on who we are in Christ. As Christ followers, we died to the power of sin. We died to that in our lives, and we were raised from this death now to be spiritually alive with him. So every time that that sinful nature raises its ugly head in our lives, we need to wrestle it down and nail it right back to the cross. Amen? Amen. Nail it back to the cross. We don't go about trying to follow this command in our own strength and in our own power. We rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to get radical about this. When it comes to sexual immorality, the first thing that we need to realize is that this is a war. And with war, here's one tact that you need to understand. This, our strategy in this is not to stand and fight in this war. For a lot of you men, that may come across as really difficult. Because by nature, some of us men are like, man, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. But this is not one sin that you want to try and fight. Because you won't win. You won't win, men. So your strategy's got to be like Joseph. Even though Joseph paid a heavy price... He had the right strategy for fighting this sin. When Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, what did he do? He ran. That's right. You can read all about it in Genesis chapter 39. He did not try to hang around and fight it. He didn't try to push the envelope and see how close to the line that he could get. He didn't fool around with it. He didn't try to rationalize it. He didn't try to excuse it. And he didn't even try to indulge in just a little bit of it. No, he ran. He ran. He fleed. And that has got to be our strategy too. Flee sexual immorality. Why do we need to do this? Watch this from Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18 through 20. He says, run from sexual sin. Put that in your blank. Run. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. 
For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. So how serious is this? Well, I've heard it said that if you don't kill this sin, it will kill you. So we need to put it to death. We have got to get radical. The Bible is incredibly, incredibly clear on the will of God for how to deal with sexual immorality. It's not very often in the Bible that you're going to come across the words, this is the will of God. Not very often that you see that. But when you do, you and I ought to take notice of that. And this is one of those times right here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what it says. For this is the will of God. Ding, ding, ding. The spiritual radar ought to be going up right now. It's like, pay attention. This is the will of God. What's the will of God? Your sanctification first. What is sanctification? That's you and I being conformed into the image of Christ. We're being set apart as holy. That's that process that you and I go through as we mature as believers in Christ. It's what discipleship's all about, being rooted and built up in Him, being strengthened in Him, sanctification. He goes on to say that you abstain from sexual immorality. The will of God is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That means you'd have no part of it. No part of it at all. Avoid it. Verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger. The Lord is an avenger. That means he's going to pay back. You hear this all the time that God is love, and he is. But there's another side to that. There's another side to his character, and it's called justice. And they work in tandem with one another. The Lord is an avenger. means he will pay back this sin. In all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whatever or whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You can disregard my word all day long. But what's really happening is if you're indulging in this, you're disregarding God and you're disregarding his word. We should have no part in sexual immorality. No part. This is not about careful regulation. This is all about complete extermination. In Matthew chapter 5, while dealing with the subject of lust, Jesus makes it very clear that what happens in our mind is just as important as what happens in our actions. He says in beginning here in verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what Jesus is doing here is he's equating the same thing that's happening in our mind with the physical adulterial actions. It's the same thing. There's no difference. And Jesus goes on. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. These are some incredibly strong and serious words, aren't they? 
Now, I especially wanted you to see the verses right before these because I wanted you to see the context of what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about lust, which is just a form of sexual immorality. Don't try to sit there and split hairs thinking that your thoughts and what happens in your mind is different than your actions. Jesus is clearly not making that distinction at all here. When his word calls us to be holy, that means our whole bodies, including our minds. Now, Jesus is not saying here that you mutilate yourself and literally cut your body parts off. Because you know why? Cutting your body parts off isn't going to help. You can cut your hand off. You can pluck your eye out. And guess what? That stuff is still up here in your mind. It's not going to matter. No, what he's saying is that we need to cut off the part of sexual immorality in our life that is infecting us. We've got to cut it off. Sexual immorality, it's like a cancer. And if we don't cut it out from our lives, it will cause catastrophic damage by infecting the rest of our bodies. So we have to cut this stuff out. No man or woman was ever unfaithful to their spouse without first thinking about it. If he or she had killed those thoughts before taking action on them, then there wouldn't have been any unfaithfulness. That's why Jesus is saying we need to tear out our eye or cut off our hand. Now, I want to pause for a moment and take a breath because I know this is a very tough subject. And listen, I don't really care if you hear my words. I just want you to hear the words of God. Listen to them. Let them penetrate the depths of your heart and your soul because his word is true. His word is what confronts. His word is what convicts. His word is what leads us to confess. And his word is what leads us to conform. Listen to his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Paul is talking to Christians in Corinth, and he issues a very stern warning here. Do not be deceived. You cannot be living in sexual immorality, meaning you can't be practicing this, making it a habit, and expect to inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. I know this messes with some people's theology. That's why I want you to take away what you've heard from man and listen to the word of God. Galatians chapter 5 says here in verse 19, beginning here, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Look what's first in the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in high in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. This is serious. We cannot be sitting here holding our fire insurance card in our one hand while we're living in outright rebellion to our Heavenly Father. 
Do not be deceived. These verses should put the fear of God in us. And there are plenty more to go along with it in the Bible. We have to reject anything. We need to put it to death. Anything that would lead us down the path of sexual immorality. That means what we watch on our TVs, what we see on our computers, what's on our mobile devices, or where we go when we leave our homes. Anything that leads to sexual immorality, we've got to avoid. We've got to kill it. We've got to cut it off. And the bottom line is that if you're caught up in sexual immorality, no matter uh, what form it's in, whether it's an addiction to pornography or any other sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, then we are not living as if Jesus is our Lord. You can say it all day long with your voice, but if you're not living it, he's not your Lord. Don't think you can gloss over this and keep it a secret either. God sees everything. He knows everything. His word says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and they turn from them, they will receive mercy. Do you need mercy today? Do you need to confess today? Don't let this continue in your life. Paul has said we've got to put it to death. We cannot play around here. The good news is that no matter what sin it is, if we confess it to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, why am I camping out on this today so much? Because here's the real issue. The real issue is that when we get tangled up in the sins of the flesh that Paul mentions here in verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. When we get caught up in this, what's really going on is that we're longing more for the pleasure of what will satisfy ourselves over what God can provide to us. And that's idolatry. That's idolatry. Where we value and we worship pleasure more than we value and we worship God. And to put it more bluntly, it's spiritual adultery. That's what it is. Spiritual adultery. We are being unfaithful to our Lord and Savior. That's what it all comes down to. Sexual immorality in all its forms is spiritual adultery against our Lord and Savior. And after David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then he had her husband killed, murdered, the prophet Nathan confronted him about his sin. And one of the things that I love about David is that he owned his sin. He owned it. He didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to excuse it. He owned it. And in Psalm 51, he said to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David knew and understood the severity of his sin. So he pleaded with our Heavenly Father for forgiveness and to be restored and renewed. And perhaps that needs to be you today. You need to own your sin. You've been struggling with some sort of fleshly sin and you need forgiveness today. You need to be set free. You're tired of living with this secret in your life. Today is the day that the Lord can set you free. Don't leave here today without confessing it and without repenting of it. Put it under the blood of Jesus. Put it to death. Now I'm running out of time, so let me quickly finish our text on what we need to put off. First, Paul gave us five sexually related sins that we need to put off. And not just put off, 
but to put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. Now he's going to give us five relational sins that we need to put off. It says here in verse 7 of our text in chapter 3, <clears throat> In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. These things Paul says here that we need to put off all have to do with our attitudes and our actions that can do great damage to not only ourselves, but those around us in relationships. And they also primarily have to do with what comes out of our mouth. We can do a lot of damage to people with our mouths, can't we? And Paul is saying that all that's got to go. As a child of God, none of that has any place in our lives. And in verse 9, Paul gives us the last sin that we need to put off. He says, lying. Lying. Now, unlike the last two groups, two groups of five sins, Paul isolates this one by itself. And this is a good one for us to end on this week. As children of God, our old self died with Christ, so now we are to put on our new self. Lying is part of our old self. Lying destroys trust, which can ultimately destroy relationships. And more importantly, when we lie, we're not anything like Jesus. We're in fact being just like Satan. Satan's a liar. He's the father of them. So why do you want to be like him when you lie? Well, there are many things we need to put off as a child of God, and we put them off because... We've died with Christ and our old self was crucified with him. We are no longer under the power of sin. And since that, we've also been raised with Christ. So now there are things that we need to put on as we live our lives with Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about next week in part two of this message is what to put on. Okay, we're talking about what to put off. Next week, we're going to talk about what to put on. But I want to close with two final scriptures to bring everything we've heard together. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. <clears throat> John says here, This is the message which you have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Engaging in any of the sins that we discuss today breaks fellowship with God and even with each other. Now, I spent a great deal of time talking about sexual immorality today because of how widespread that this sin is, whether you're in or out of the church. It's a big deal. When we engage in any form of sexual immorality, we are, in fact, walking in darkness. We're walking in darkness. We cannot play games here because this is serious. We're lying and not practicing the truth when we entertain the lust of the flesh, whether it's pornography or any other form of sexual immorality. We need to stay out of the darkness and walk in the light. And we can only do that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to know how to have a real relationship with Christ? You want to know that you know that you know? This comes from 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> verses 3 through 6. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. 
The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. You see the pattern here with the lying, what Paul told us in our text to put off? And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Don't live a lie by walking in darkness, feeding the lust of our flesh. Find freedom in Jesus. Through a relationship with him, you can starve that old, selfish, sinful nature. Now today, we began our time together talking about the kind of perspective that we are to have on everything in this world. Because as Christ followers, this world is not our home. So that means that we don't live like the world. We live from God's perspective. And we focus our minds on what God desires for our lives. And that means his priorities become our priorities. And then while we're here on this earth, we should be preparing for heaven. Our preparation means we put to death the deeds of the flesh. We put off those things that do not reflect the character of God. As remnant believers, we must remain in Jesus, which means we strive to live our lives just as he did. We walk just as he walked. So do you need forgiveness today? Do you need his direction and his power to overcome the sin in your life? I want to encourage you to come to him today. Let him cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And just before I came out here this morning, that God laid on my heart that I needed to read Psalm 32 to you. So you do have one more scripture that you need to hear today because I'm being obedient to him. And here it is, Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him shout for joy, all whose hearts are pure. Thus saith the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your healing hands to lay hold of us today. For those of us who have been engaged in spiritual adultery against you, and that's where the sin is, it's against you. I pray right now that your spirit would stir us in our hearts to make it right today, that we can confess it before you so that we can repent of it and that we can walk with you and walk just as you walked. Lord God, we know that as Christ followers, these sins that we've gone over today should have no part in our life sexual immorality and all that, we know, Father, we need to put it to death. We need to nail it to the cross. 
And so my prayer today is for those that may be caught in some secret sin of some kind. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a past uh, infraction that you've had, but yet you've never reconciled. You've kind of washed over it and let it go, but you've not dealt with it. And today's the day to deal with it. And so I pray, Jesus, that you'd stir hearts today. That you'd set us free today as only you can. We thank you that by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, we are set free. That you died on that cross, you hung there and died, and you said, it is finished. And three days later, you rose from the grave, Lord, defeating death. And we rise with you when we believe in you to walk in newness of life, your word says. And we thank you that by the power of your name, we can have victory over all this stuff that's going on in our lives. And so I pray right now, if there be anyone that does not know Jesus, and you want to make that commitment first to say, yeah, I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to put my past behind. Slip up your hand, I can pray for you. Anyone want to begin that relationship with Jesus today? Others of you may be here, and you may feel God's turn on your heart, and you're like, you know, I've gotten away from this relationship. I've had it. I've made that commitment, but I, I need to recommit today because I'm far from him. If that's you, I'll pray for you. Slip your hand up. I'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray right now that you come into the heart of those who've acknowledged that they need you. They've gotten away from you. And I pray, Lord God, as your word says, that if they confess their sins, you're faithful and just to forgive them. Not just forgive them, but you'll cleanse them from all unrighteousness. I pray, Lord, that you'd wipe the slate clean. We thank you that in your word it says, for your mercies are fresh every morning. And I pray that they'd be fresh and new in these people's lives. They can begin anew and draw close to you. Your word tells us that if we'll draw close to you, you'll draw close to us. And so we thank you for that. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you'd like prayer, you want to come forward, you've got some heavy things on your heart that need dealt with, there'll be people up here to pray for you. And I, I, I encourage you, don't leave this building without reconciling with your Heavenly Father. We're here if you need you, if you need prayer. Thank you, guys.